Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, I'm having a conversation with Brownie Dunn. Brownie is an Irish visual artist based between Greece and Ireland. With a background in documentary photography and visual anthropology, in her work, Brownie explores the relations between humanity and nature, the arbitrariness of cultural representation, the legacies of colonialism and the fantasies of human control. Brownie is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 4, with a collective research focus on the notion of ecologies. Today, we will discuss about the use of storytelling and film narration in challenging our anthropocentric worldview. Brownie, welcome to Palidum. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. <laughs> so, Brownie, let's uh, start from the beginning. Um, I know that uh, you've uh, your studies are in design and set design, and uh, you have a master's in cultural heritage. And one could say that you haven't followed, let's say, the usual academic path of becoming an artist. But I'm always curious to know where one comes from. And I was wondering, would you like to share a bit about your background and how did you start working with film? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, as you said, I, um, I studied interior, um, design and set design, um, for my undergrad and, uh, for a couple of years I worked, um, in film, uh, larger productions on set design. And then I spent, uh, some time, um, uh, working on different conservation projects, um, uh, and that brought me to um, to decide to study uh, heritage conservation. And a strand in that um, was visual anthropology, which brought me to a site in Egypt to do some research. Initially for one month, the research was for. Um, and it was in relation to um, this network of uh, gardens that are situated in uh, South Sinai. Um, I was living in London at the time, and after the one-month research was up, um, 
I didn't quite feel um, I had gathered enough information. Um, and also I just, I felt like I didn't know the site as well as I wanted to or the people or the landscape and um, I decided not to go back to London to write this um, uh, research master's. I decided to stay in, in at this site to, to write it but also to um, continue this like visual research that I had started. Um, which then evolved into a film project. Um, so one of the interviews that I was carrying out in um, as part of the research was that was with this woman called Amaria, and uh, she was seventy five years old when I met her, um, and uh, she had her children, and she decided at this age to go and live by herself in the mountains and restore this family garden that um, that she had. Um, and after having this interview with her, she decided she she suggested to me, she was like, why don't why don't you make a film about me? And um, I I thought about it and uh, I, I stayed with her. I stayed with her um, three weeks and um, I just started filming her because I had my camera with me um, and I just kind of like documented her life living with her like when she would go and herd her goats I would go with her um, picking herbs in the mountains and then from everything to how she takes care of her garden so I really had no intention of making this film um, but it was also questioning my own position as this kind of like foreign documentarian um, and being uh, feelings of kind of a discomfort and um, the problematics of um, representation um, and in this film I kind of like the beginning of the film I um, I went into, I explored that kind of realm of um, uh, late 19th century, early uh, 20th century um, photography um, in the sense that um, how, yeah, a lot of like foreign photographers and artists would come and, and, and make work in the desert of like desert people and um, so... I started to kind of like explore all this realm and my own position in um, making this film. So after that, I um, I wrote my thesis and I made this film. Well, I had uh, shot all the footage and then I was invited to do a residency in Cairo in the townhouse gallery, which is which is now closed. Um, and. When I was there, I edited the film with a friend and I had worked on a photo book. Um, so that was my first film. But in that process, I uh, started to work on another film. So it was just kind of like very naturally, it evolved into um, another film. But you also brought uh, a very important um, con concern or consideration that um, the author 
needs to to think about like the position of the author, the relationship with the subjects. And to me, by uh, watching your films and digging a little bit more into your work, it seems to me that um, the relations that you develop with your subjects, uh, which become more of collaborators along the way, are very important elements in your work. Uh, so, uh, after Amaria, uh, looking back to your um, path, where does the research begin for you? How do you start, let's say, with a new film and a new concept and a new story? Mm-hmm. Um, well, from Amaria, as I explained, I was there at the site doing this research and it kind of evolved from that. But my, my films then... From there, how I suppose they emerged was just, I would say, quite intuitively in the sense that um, one one film project would lead me to the next where I would perhaps like meet someone. Like as an example, um, I uh, went back to Sinai um, a couple of months after I had left to do some sound recordings um, and also it was the weekend where um, President Morsi, the first uh, democratically elected president, was ousted so there was a lot of, there was going to be a lot of like demonstrations and um, I also decided to leave that weekend as well and um, uh, when I was in Sinai at the site this I had met this man who was from South America, from the island of Aruba. Um, it, this was one of the Dutch colonized islands, but he had been living in Holland for the last couple of years. And um, he believed that he was the reincarnation of King Ramses II. And he had told me this story. And what the time I was met, I met him. He had a guitar and he had uh, all these kind of like war medals, and he was like, oh, um, he was in a small cafe with lots of people sitting around him because he was playing the guitar and like these quite like gospel, uh, like uh, Latino uh, songs he was playing, and um, I was thinking, who, who is this guy? <laughs> and, uh, and then so he told me his story, and he said like. Tomorrow I'm going to walk up to the top of Mount Sinai. And I said, okay. I, I, I thought, well, I'm going to be here for the next day. I, I'm, I, I'll join him. He seems quite interesting in what he's doing. So he arrives at six o'clock in the morning, dressed in head to toe in a full um, pharaonic outfit with a with a gold headpiece and gold chains on a, on the back of a camel <laughs> so <laughs> I mean and, and this was completely unexpected and then uh, I decided to to follow him to like start filming him yeah it's uh, just I suppose uh, kind of like intuitively like how one project leads me to the next and what feels comfortable. And I think it's like also not having a background within filmmaking. Um, these portraits into people's lives and worlds, I think have gi- has given me an opportunity to kind of like explore the filmic realm and make work that I feel comfortable with, first with these close collaborations. Um, and kind of like learning what what I feel comfortable making and um, 
Yeah. So on the one aspect, I would say I'm, I'm keeping this kind of curiosity that you have about meeting new people and learning from them. And a lot of time that you dedicate to build this relationship with uh, these people mm -hmm. and not only people. Mm -hmm. After Egypt, uh, you've moved to Greece. Mm -hmm. What brought you to Greece? Was mm -hmm. it another story? <laughs> yeah. So it was. I, I think it's more of a theme, a theme, a subject that I became interested in, um, which very much emerged from this one site in Cairo, which is a zoological garden. Before it was a botanical garden, and um, I spent over two years again, kind of like on and off. Um, I brought a lot of my students to to film in this, to photograph in this space, and um, it's a it's a very very interesting space to kind of look at. It's um, it was set up under British occupation, and um, all the the plants and the animals in this site were brought. From outside of Egypt, um, I documented all the, the yeah the plant life in in it. I worked with a, an archaeobotanist, um, identifying all these um, plants, and a lot of them were coming from former British colonies. Um, and the the opening of the Suez Canal facilitated a lot of this movement, botanical and animal wealth coming from different countries and this is when uh, this zoo was set up and then also all along the colonial uh, network and like for instance in Kew Gardens this one a lot of their uh, archive and collections were were built um, so I was interested in the kind of the movement and transportation and um, uh, circulation of this wealth um, which I made a, like a video piece about the Suez Canal and the importance of it. Um, and uh, I then from there, I started to work on a project um, about this, these different fish species that entered the Mediterranean through the Suez Canal, coming from the Indian Ocean, the Pacific, um, What is the name of this species? Les Lesbian migrants, named after the French engineer, um, Fernandette de Lesp, who was the engineer of the project. Um, and uh, yeah, some of these fish um, uh, are considered quite invasive in the Mediterranean. One of them is called the Lagocephalos, which is a puffer fish. It's the second most um, poisonous puffer fish in the world, fish in the world. Um, and I find it interesting in the sense that the, the terminology, the language that is used to describe this fish, it's kind of this alien species, this kind of like monster, it's a threat, it's a... Um, and... Um, It's been a, uh, there's been many attempts to try and eradicate this fish from the Mediterranean, but it's kind of it's just it brings it arises so many different questions um, uh, how the the past history influences and informs the present and kind of you know why is this fish being kind of 
threatened and um, demonized from uh, a consequence of human activity. It was in, in terms of like this canal, this bridge that allowed this these fish to to circulate and move. And um, and also, who decides to eliminate this fish in the end, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, it's really this fish is considered a threat because humans haven't well at least it, the populations in the mediterranean haven't capitalized and they don't know how to capitalize on this type of fish i mean in uh in asia it's considered a delicacy um, because they know how to remove the this these poisonous elements to be able to eat it um um so So from uh, Larocephalos to oh yes <laughs> where <laughs> yeah so uh, so I was uh, exploring all these different kind of the movement of like fish and plants and animals and um, yeah also like looking as I said looking at this the zoo which is this co- controlled space that you know animals and people are kind of kept at these like in these like safe controlled environments where circulation is 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 planned and designed and how people move and um and uh, then I started to look at the the movement of uh birds from um uh the 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 middle east into europe and people um and which that was a project that brought me to film in greece um part of the film starts off in cairo and it moves to the island of lesvos which is one of the most important stopovers for migratory birds um there's a lot of scientists that spent um the spring and the autumn in 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 Lesvos documenting these birds and like these bird watching holidays happen on the island so i joined with the hellenic ornithological society and i went on one of these bird watching holidays to holidays it was a trip it was kind of like it was for me a research but um um and then afterwards then i spent time with um different organizations that are working out in in Lesvos uh documenting people moving through the island um so it was like the same uh, apparatus of telescopes and binoculars and cameras that were used by the bird watchers but then also all the volunteers and the organizations that are watching people moving across so it's just this very harsh and strange uh, juxtaposition that that exists on the island where yeah it's all this kind of like observing and looking and kind of um documenting species mm. both human and bird you're uh bringing up a very bleak uh, let's say topic in our discussion um and you've uh, mentioned that but but it wasn't the first time that you worked with the birds or with non-human others uh, that become the protagonists of your film of your films and i can't help but wonder whether these stories of the non-human species is for you a metaphor to describe or better understand the human story mm-hmm. yeah it's very much i think that's that's what it is um i mean the idea of filming f- 
for so the film that you previously mentioned, Above the Law, which is that I filmed partly on, on Lesbos. Um, my de- my idea was to partly film this from a from a perspective from a bird. So I worked with uh, falconeers, trained falconeers that attached cameras to the back of these eagles. Um, so essentially, it is an attempt to try and challenge this anthropocentric viewpoint, um, but also to to show that the ease of movement from one species compared to the other. Um, of course, these birds are captive, and you know we are placing these cameras on the back of their their backs, but you know. It, it does show that harsh parallel of, you know, the, the essential kind of movement for, for birds, for survival, like how uh, their ease of movement compared to people on, on land. Um, so... And the notion of the border and how that changes between uh, species. Mm, exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's one. So from from above the law, I made a film called Killing the Messengers, which is more specifically about bird migration, um, documenting these scientists on the island of Antikythera. And on the very final scene of the film, it's this perspective from a satellite from Google Earth, and it's basically following the kind of the con- the the way that a bird that was tracked from one of these scientists they passed me over all their data so I made this kind of visual map where it leaves Antikythera and it arrives in Chad but it shows the movement all across this like vast vast landscape all across the Mediterranean to the from the top of the to uh, North Africa all the way down but it's like this viewpoint where there is no um you know, human-made constructs of 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 uh, like borderlines, geopolitical divisions of names, and essentially, this would be how a a, a bird would would see the, the the landscape. And I found that was was so interesting in this pro- process because in Google Earth you have all these different layers that you kind of like can place on and what you want to see, and um, and then just to remove them all, all of a sudden you're given this this view. Um, satellite view of just the landscape of what it would perhaps look like. From but this. another layer of this film, um, you also touch upon, uh, in a way, climate change, because the birds are carriers of information and data mm-hmm. that these scientists can track, you know, the changes that are happening to the environment through the 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 movement of the birds and the change of their roots because of climate change. So there is also this uh, this part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, I start the film off with the kind of how birds were used as these omens to like predict the future, um, and how they were used by these mantises, and these mantises were like you know they would sit, they would stand in like certain observational points in and around Greece to to look for these birds and to attempt to try and kind of like observe their their flight or their their calls or their movements. And these would be interpreted as kind of like predictions of the future, as omens. Um, and 
however many years later we have these scientists on at this like bird observatory on the island of Antikythera that are carrying out their own forms of observational observation but more from a kind of like um collecting this data this raw data that is then um transcoded and um into this knowledge that for them to greatly understand our environment and the, the the changes in it um for instance there's they were recording um so they they record all the different like the wingspan of each bird the like the fat muscle and um and one is they were finding they were taking ticks that they would find from the birds and they were being analyzed and what in this lab in Norway and what they were finding is that these ticks because the climate in Europe is getting warmer that there these ticks are able to survive long enough um to reproduce whereas before it was too cold for them so um yeah these like these birds are kind of like indices um of of uh of changes and uh how they're kind of um yeah monitor the monitoring mm, in the way they tell us be careful yeah. um i i can trace an uh, an element of uh, an interest in mythology in your mm. work but i'll get back to that later now i want to change a bit the discussion and bring it back to the school of infinite rehearsals that you were part of um You were part of Movement 4, which had a research focus on the notion of ecologies. So I would like to ask you what prompted you to apply and what was your specific interest in the subject that was proposed by James? Mm-hmm. Everything equally evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in joining this residency um, in a sense that as i've just explained my like artistic rhetoric of where i have come from to where i am now it's been very much this kind of like self-driven independent um form of 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 research and kind of exploration um which at times as i said i i do collaborate and like with above the law and these other films are like very close collaborations but working that's me kind of like you know it's 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 a film by Bryony Dunn it's that's it's um i've been i was interested in kind of like working more as a kind of a collective um and see how that would work for me and would it and how i would feel about it and then i was very curious curious about this and um and uh, so that was one of the reasons um and to like formulate decisions and how all that did like the decisions would happen and kind of um and also to have this opportunity to kind of like talk about my own ideas and kind of you know ways to possibly collaborate on them and um the i liked the sound of uh, i liked the 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 possibility of engaging more with people um whether that be like organization or academics or other artists kind of working on projects in around the mediterranean um i find the 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 region very interesting to continue 
working on projects um, in this in this region. So I suppose also to kind of like build up my own network and um, yeah, and form collaborations in 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 that sense. And um, um, unfortunately, that didn't happen a lot during due to the circumstances that we. Were also had to confront with the lockdown and the pandemic, but I'm sure that you have lots of moments to share. Mm. Um, when people ask me about the Nazis there, it's very hard to, to explain and describe to them what is happening in the space, and especially as far as the school is concerned, because all the day-to-day -day decisions are made by the group itself. So I'm, I wanted to ask you, how did you find that process and uh, what happened during these uh, six weeks for you? Um, it, was, it, was, it was interesting in the sense that, like, yeah, I, 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 had to, I had to reconfigure and rethink about how... And it made me think how I normally work. It's like, so it made me kind of um, reflect upon the way that I work whereas before we just kind of like I would do it rather than kind of like analyzing how I would mm. approach and want uh, or do my work and um, like I remember the, the 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 first couple of days we did this workshop or this um, uh, the card group with Doreen who was amazing and I really liked the, the this um this but um i i didn't really have so much to contribute whereas like you know we would talk about you know our values and like what the these scenarios would would be played out in a this this game of cards and like you know what would we do in a situation and like i was like i was thinking to myself brownie why can't you contribute like why why aren't you able to say and like you know what you would do and it was like i was finding it really difficult but then when i'm confronted in a more of a real situation my values do come out and I feel very strongly about them and like that's what that I found that very interesting whereas like um yeah it's interesting what you say because um when uh, we are confronted in an imaginary situation also one one would say that you know everything seems perfect mm. everybody has a, a consensus on, mm. on what is right and what is wrong but at the same time we observed that a lot of us interpreted these stories in a very different way mm. Mm. yeah yeah it's very true and it's like um one of the um the possible kind of um questions that were 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 brought forward at the beginning of the residency, which is like somewhat the framework of the the overall question of the, the residency is like, you know, how do we engage with the more than human world on the periphery that is of the Mediterranean? And afterwards we, we questioned ourselves and like, you know, did we engage with the more than human world? Which we didn't really. <laughs> um, we talked about it, but like, um, and I think what I had is more of a basic question and certainly afterwards of like what is what is the value what is the real value of engaging with the more than human world 
if we first can't engage with ourselves and each, and each other. Um, and I really thought about that during the residency and um, the concepts of kind of like, yeah, what what is engagement and how far can engagement go and, you know, how... It's, I think it's quite an easy thing to kind of like write about engagement, but how do we enact that and embody that in our kind of our day-to-day lives um, out of our roles of artists and writers and curators? Is that, And that's what I think I was very interested in kind of questioning. And um, uh, That answers my next question, mm-hmm. which was uh, what is your most uh, important or interesting finding or learning from the more than human world? So I think you already answered oh. that. <laughs> We need to, f- mm. to better relate to each other first. I think so, yeah. And there was another group activity that you did mm-hmm. with Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Pietrobono. It was uh, like a critical thinking activity mm. with language. And uh, as a group, you decided to, um, to make a list of words were some words, uh, a list of words that you wouldn't use in your vocabulary for the six weeks and some words that you would like to keep. Did you have any particular words in mind? Yeah, I was trying to think of this, actually. Um, I was trying to think of what words... Um, Ecologies? <laughs> yeah, we took that out. We took out, like, colonialism. We took out... Uh, I think maybe the word that I had to take out was also feminism and... Uh, But is it was it because um, you you felt critical about the way that this terminology has been used? Well, the idea was to to attempt to how can we talk about these things without actually just using the word? How can we talk about it in a different way? How can we? Because so much emphasis is just put on that word, and would it make us then kind of relate to? you know, other aspects that we're talking about in a different way if it's just that one word doesn't use. But, you know, as a person that um, somewhat kind of like expression and language is sometimes difficult for me, that <laughs> that's almost kind of like another layer of thinking that I have to do it to try and kind of... And also I was thinking for all the people that English is not their like native language, then that's also perhaps maybe difficult as well. Um, I suppose, first of all, we need to ground ourselves, Are you, as you said before, before starting engaging with each other and with the other, whatever that is. And this reminds me somehow of uh, the work that we did together in Pilion, where we went um, on a trip as a group. And you took us uh, to the cave of Chiron, who is a who was a centaur in ancient Greek mythology. And actually, when I was reading about Heron, I learned that he was a tutor of various Greek heroes, like Jason and Achilles, and he was teaching them astronomy, botanical sciences, and healing practices, which relates a lot to to the theme. Um, And there are a lot of connotations in Greek history about the idea of the cave uh, as a journey Uh, from ignorance to knowledge, let's say. Um, The most prominent one being Plato's cave. And I was wondering, why did you decide to take us there? Hmm. Or how did you end up (laughs) finding this cave? (laughs) 
I had been to Pelion, uh, Pelion uh, a couple of months back. Caves have always interested me. I mean, in 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 Irish mythology, um, you know, it's a place where this kind of like fairy folk or this uh, they're called like the the two horned Danon, which is this kind of like supernatural supernatural race that um, live underground, and you can access this 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 land either by going like underwater or like uh, uh, these kind of like portals on, um to these to the uh, to to these caves and um also in in irish mythology there's a lot of kind of reoccurrence of metamorphosis of like human animal so another reason why i wanted to bring the group to this cave um and how symbolic this cave is in the um the transformation of metamorphosis is that I think metamorphosis is not only a kind of like from a physical on a physical realm um an idea of this kind of like the dressing up that we did at this on the last night but also from a kind of like a psychological aspect is that this form of transformation that we we we're we're transforming our bodies are changing um but also the environment that we live in is changing and nothing i think in this world keeps its form and i think metamorphosis is a reminder of that um but also i like the idea of this human animal uh, metamorphosis in that we are essential essentially animals and um Perhaps I think if we can relate more to that kind of like an, our animal selves um, and engage more with that animal self, perhaps we can engage more with each other. And so from uh, everything equally evolved to ev everyone equally transformed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel that by reading, reading in quotes, uh, your uh, films that myth plays a huge role in your work or there are mythological elements and aspects uh, in many of your films. So um, in one of our previous discussions, you also said that um, you're interested in the question of how we can recreate the myths. Mm. What is the role of myth in your work? Um, I mean, I don't know so much about mythology, but I want to know more. I'm learning more. I'm. Um, I mean, I'm. I'm currently working on a film at the moment, um, which is about a rhinoceros horn and how. Mytho myths have created <clears throat> a role in how um, this rhino horn is used, um, both from the past and currently, um, and how the myth of the unicorn has played um, a role in in the story of the rhinoceros. Where there's some historians that actually believe that the the um, The unicorn was the rhinoceros and like the first early accounts in in a natural 
history encyclopedia by Pliny the Elder is a description of a unicorn, but to any contemporary modern reader, it's a it's a rhinoceros. It's like you know, it says it's like it has like thick grey hair and um, one horn through its uh, forehead, and um, so this was a description of a unicorn, but. Um, and uh, you know, there's early accounts of like in in medieval Europe of like um, men going into a forest and hunting down the unicorn for its magical medicinal horn. Um, and today, you know, people are hunting down the the rhinoceros for its horn. But like, what is the symbolism of the the, the horn? And um, you know, in the past, the unicorn horn was used as a as a, um, a symbol of status and power. Um, and in very much today, the rhino horn is also used for the same um, purposes. Um, so, yeah, how myths, myth, like our imagination, I think, can take on these very beautiful forms, but also at the same time, kind of like myth and imagination can also take on a sinister tone as well. Um, but in many ways, I think perhaps one of our capacities as humans is to be able to believe in myths and stories i mean everything from kind of nation states to borders they're just and they could be like myth it could be like myths but it's the it's the emphasis that we're able to believe and um uh you know construct our our morals and our identities around these myths that's what perhaps i mean i don't know i'm just maybe maybe animals can as well we don't know but certainly as humans that we, we can we can do that i mean religion is somewhat you know it's also a myth and a story as well um which can be yeah well i think that's the perfect way to close our discussion let's hope that we can find and create new myths for the future <laughs> Uh, but one last question before we close it. Um, what's next for you? Um, yeah, so as I briefly explained, I'm working on this uh, film called Pembe, which is my first feature film. Um, it will be, it's part documentary, part fiction. Um, it will be, it's part set in a theater and it's um, based on a lot of my research which I've carried out over this last couple of years about these this rhino horn um, and the whole kind of stories that that I've come into contact around it um, which has linked me back to Ireland um, this one Irish traveller family that has been involved with a lot of these theft all across Europe um, uh so i'm currently yeah working on that and um then i'm in in november i'm i'm participating for one year at the jan van eyck academy um so i'm it's it, it's part collective in, in in the sense that um you know there's a there's 35 participants and there's this different labs and um, research that we will be doing together but then also working individually um, so I think the the time here and Onassis has kind of g given me a nice platform to to move 
onwards to from the that. individual to the, the most more collective yeah path mm-hmm. well thank you very much Bryony thank you for sharing thank you for coming back and uh, I wish you all best with uh, your film and your upcoming projects thank you thank you so nice to chat thank you for listening if you want to listen to more conversations please subscribe to our channel You can find more about the UNASSE residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSE. Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.